career paths. Career paths. In and out, up and down, all around. <laughs> There's the name of our episode. <laughs> What do you think? Let's uh, give it. Let's give it a go. Sure. Okay. Here we go. Ready. A one. A two. A one. Two. Three. Welcome to the. <laughs> I thought you were going to stop. <laughs> Sorry. Welcome to the Medicast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Galen. Hey, everyone. Welcome today. Hey, Bob. It is a beautiful day. Little, little humid, but a beautiful day, a July day in Cary, North Carolina. And I'm doing one of my favorite things in the world, Medicasters. Guess what that is? Hanging out with Josh Anderson at the dude. At the dude. At the dude. We're at the hub here at the dude. This is like the brain. This is sort of the what the command center. Oh yeah. At the dude. The command deck. The command deck. And yes, you were and you deck. were and you were like Kirk. I should start calling you Kirk. <laughs> Captain. So we're at the we're at the dude. Um and we've been sort of trying to figure out what to talk about today. There was a danger, Metacasters. There was the, for no, like thirty a moderate, seconds. There was a moderate danger that we wouldn't have anything to talk about because Josh and I don't always prep the way we should. <laughs> no, we don't. We, we sort of wing it, and uh, we've wung it for like twenty, what ninety six, seven, eight yeah. episodes. What number is this? Uh, this will be, I think, ninety seven. Ninety seven. Yeah. We need to keep track. We need to oh do yeah, some, we're getting close to hundred. We need to do something special on the hundredth. You know that, like the hundredth episode. So a hundred uh, minutes long. No, I'll just keep my. It needs to be a sort of a gangbusters topic. So okay. we, we need to we need to plan that one. Ooh, yeah. So if you out there have any ideas for a gangbuster hundredth episode special, oh, send it in, please. Send for God's sakes, get us a good juicy one. Yes. Oh, and conflict. If you can get us arguing, I will send you books and thank yous <laughs> and stuff because I like to argue with this man. Yes, it, it blesses my whole little heart. <laughs> Whenever I could argue with them. So what's the topic today, Josh? Topic today is career paths for the non-developer slash engineering slash R&D non-team role in the agile world. So product owners, scrum masters. I want to go to uh, be a scrum master. What does my career path look like? Where do I go? From a developer perspective – there's you know junior engineer, senior engineer, principal engineer, architect, manager, all this stuff that's pretty well defined. I yep. know where I can go. I know the paths. I know the options. Product owner, scrum master is one of those things that are relatively new to the world um, of business. And not a lot of people have real career paths built and laid out for when you come in as a product owner. This is step one. This is step well, two. They're starting to, but, right. I, but I think this is a, a good topic for that. You want to pick on the Scrum Master first? Sure, that's fine. All right. So you've done – have you done – did you talk once about doing tiering here? Not tiering like crying, but tiering like – did you set up a tier for Scrum Masters? You don't have that many, but – Right. You- we have two, and that's one of the things that they're working on right now because as as we look at how our career paths – they're not ladders for us. It's paths, and you can cross paths. And I've even seen folks like Spotify call them steps. So they're more like stepping stones. You can go left, right, up, and down. There is no defined path. You can make your own way. But the thing that we've tried to define is the sphere in which you work. So when you first come in, you're operating just myself. How do I get myself to be really functional, a really good member of a squad? Then... You get good at that and you start thinking about how do I help my squad work better? How do we operate more effectively, more efficiently? Then for us, it moves on to chapters. How do I get the chapter? So our front end chapter, how do we make that work better? Then it moves up to our tribe. Then it moves across the whole company. So we have this ever-growing sphere that we have roles defined across the paths and one of them is the scrum master. And we have one single role and then we have question mark, question mark. Right. Okay. We, we we think there's two more roles there up above the Scrum Master role, and we're working to define those now. At, at I contact years, this was so 
I always say years ago, but to be crisp, it was 2009 to 2012. So four years ago or so, we had somewhere between 10 and 15 scrum teams, Kanban teams. We probably had five to six to seven scrum masters. It, it became, when we first started, I think it was similar to what's happened here, we had no need mm-hmm. or there was no obvious need to have layers of scrum masters. So right. we, we hired scrum masters. Uh, I remember when we hired Maureen Green, she was a uh, she was a more senior scrum master. She was always our most seasoned scrum master there. Right. And and just by hiring her, we had hired a her, and then we'd hired a junior scrum master. They they were all scrum masters, mm-hmm. but um, but seeing the delta between the most junior and Maureen, sort of almost if they wouldn't have asked for it, we would have done a ladder, mm-hmm. if you will. Anyway, it was just obvious. Right. So for us, I, th- I forget what we called them. We had like a junior scrum master, a scrum master, a senior, and then maybe a principal or something like that. So we created four tiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we went up, what did we amplify? We amplified coaching as we went up the ladder. Uh, so having more more organizational coaching, mm-hmm. so coaching the teams. Uh, so a junior scrum master, we wouldn't expect a junior scrum master. You know how Richard here will coach the team? Right. Um, we wouldn't expect a junior scrum master, and don't get caught up on, on the junior title, right. everyone, right? It's just the first-level scrum master. We wouldn't expect them to confront team dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just something. I mean, we, we only expected them to, to be an expert at scrum, if you will, mm-hmm. and even that was going to take them some time. Right. So the, the first tier was be an excellent scrum master, uh, lightweight leadership. Second tier was doing more what maybe Richard does here more team-based leadership, mm-hmm. uh, more cross-team influence. Third, t- third tier, um, we would expect a third tier uh, to do more uh, team coaching, more cross-team coaching, to serve as a role model to be, to lead our Scrum Master focus group, mm-hmm. so to coach the coaches. Mm-hmm. And then our fourth level was more of a coach the coaches role. Uh, SAFE, for example, uh, release train engineer. Right. It didn't exist back at Eye Contact, but it, if if we would, if I retrofit safe back then, we would have probably said, you know, a scrum master at level three or four starts looking like an RTE. Mm-hmm. They start coaching the scrum masters. They start managing a program. Managing is the wrong word, but they start sort of influencing a program or shepherding. overseeing, shepherding a, yeah. a program. Uh, that was our levels. <clears throat> now, when we de- we defined for. But but no one was a four. Right. You probably I don't know what your philosophy is, but my philosophy if, if we're going to go through the trouble of creating a ladder, you don't want to fill the ladder up with people. Yeah. Right. Uh, it, it sort of defeats the purpose. Then you have to. Well, then you need an extension ladder. Right. So uh, I think when we laid people out, maybe you know everyone was a one and a two. Uh, we maybe maybe Maureen went to three. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe everyone was a one and a two. And then we had a promotion opportunity for Marine, if that right. makes sense, right, to a three. So we were t- – part of the laddering is is messaging to someone, Here, here's a growth. Here's some growth we'd like to see in you. Mm-hmm. And if you grow consistently, then, you know, you'd be promoted in a year right. or something like that. Does that does that resonate with what you – you know – It does. It's relatively close in the way that we're working – and we're actively working through this now is that the scrum master in the new world as we define it would be focused on a single squad in a traditional scrum master role that I'm relatively new. I'm not going to go crazy and try and scrum master three squads. We're going to do one. I'm going to get good at that. Then the next step would be an agile coach. And these are things, again, we're working on. We don't know if the names will end up like this. But an agile coach starts to coach multiple squads, um, maybe more mature squads, don't need as much at the lower level but also starts to take into some of the things that you've talked about of team issues, helping drive how we do cross-squad planning, refinement, PSIs, things like that. Then enterprise agile coach is that next step up that starts thinking about organizationally, how do we get more agile? Right. So, not just software engineering, but across the company. That was our level. Yeah. F- that was our level four. Uh, and again, that doesn't mean no one's operating at that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, people can people can achieve or aspire to that level mm-hmm. and be operating. Maureen operated at that level. 
for example, what we wanted, uh, I don't know how you, I wanted people to challenge me. So one of the things, using eye contact as an example, I would challenge Ralph a mm-hmm. lot. Ralph was my boss, but Ralph expected me to challenge him. You know, our both of our goals was to create the best organization on the planet. And not everyone is comfortable challenging their boss, right? Right, with with congruent feedback, with constructive feedback, mm-hmm. good and bad, and and I was I was able to do that, and that's one of those um, sort of characteristics that I'm looking for that fourth level scrum master mm-hmm. is someone who would come into your office quietly, close the door, and say, Josh, you need to either you need to you know remember the discussion you and I had about getting out of the retros, right, right. Or they might say, Josh, we need to get you into a retro. Mm-hmm. And, and now you'd be equally resistant to that. You'd, yeah. like, you'd be like, no, I'm not. Right. I, I've seen success. And they'd, mm-hmm. have, they'd have to give you a rationale for right. that. What are they looking for? Maybe it's a particular team. And you would listen to them because yeah. of their experience. You might mm-hmm. not react immediately, but they'd be like your sounding board, your agile sounding board. So they'd be partnering with you. Right. Uh, organizationally, they might be partnering, let's say, uh, with the product management mm-hmm. uh, sort of uh, organizational structure here. Right. Uh, they'd be partnering with the VP of product uh, lightly and and trying to influence that as well from a, from a more global perspective. What about salary? Uh, I'm interested. I know I you, you gave me that look, it's, but uh, in any ladder, you 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 have this challenge of mapping people to uh, external job levels, mm-hmm. right? Because HR wants us, I mean, and it's not, I'm not throwing HR under the bus. HR wants to do salary com- com- comparisons. Mm-hmm. They want to do annualized increase adjustments and analysis, right. data analysis. Uh, and we need to then look at like, what's an echo, you know, what's a fair salary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, there's not a lot of scrum master one, two, three, fours out in the universe. Right. So you're going to have to map them to something weird, uh, and that's challenging. But even more challenging, like what's a fair salary for A3 mm-hmm. uh, and figuring that out. So have you may not have thought about that here, but do you have any reactions to like salary and mapping and stuff? Yeah, it's, it's challenging because there's not the same amount of market data out there and the bands and everything that goes along with that. One of the things we do is we have – internal and external job descriptions and titles um, because there are certain things that we want to call ourselves internally but we also know that in the real world that doesn't mean a whole hill of beans and you can't map it so you have right. to map it so you have internal right that's actually an interesting metacasters that's sort of a, a common problem for agile shops in my experience is we want we're going to have internal classifications that don't map easily outward so you need some kind of a reasonable right. mapping right Right, so we actually maintain job descriptions that we use from a marketing perspective. Of these, this is the kind of thing we want to hire. It's, this is the external. It's marketing. Yeah. Right? It is. We are selling ourselves. Right. Then there's the internal job descriptions that we use for the salary research and everything that goes along with that. That has the more traditional roles and responsibilities. These are the things they do. So that way, HR isn't playing this guessing game and right. comes back with a right salary because we've had times where it's come back with the salaries just way off and it's because the it was really hard for them based on the because we just gave them the marketing side and they were trying to decipher what that really meant so it wasn't fair so we had to come up with the internal version that would enable them to come back with the right bands for us yeah that's pretty common i think that's even probably true even though scrum's been around for 20 years and the notion of scrum master is out there i'm still thinking that it's there's still a lot of like wiggle room in mm-hmm. that in that discussion, there's not a lot of standards. Would you right. Would you agree? No, uh, no. Not, uh, I mean, I haven't done so I haven't done a banding analysis right. in years because I'm an external consultant. Well, right? and how many people actually have exclusive Scrum Masters as opposed that's to that's true? Pro- like that's agile a, project manager slash right. Scrum Master, right? right? Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of slash Scrum Masters out right. there. Why don't we Why don't we address that real quickly? So, do you like slash? So, are your scrum masters sort of X slash scrum master, fill in the blank for X, or so are they scrum masters? We have three areas of focus within our software engineering team: people, process, and product. So, the folks that own the process are scrum masters, agile coaches. 
the way it's evolving, the folks we have and the roles we have are agile coaches because they're coaching multiple teams. They're pretty high level. They're really good. Right. Um, but we do have the opportunity for a scrum master, for somebody that wants to get into that that job title, that path that but is I'm, there. We don't have any right now, but that's what they do. But I'm more they so don't saying, do anything else. That's what I, that right. was my question. Yeah. They, 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 they are focused on how we operate as an organization, the process with yeah. which we choose to deliver product. They are in charge of steering that. So they're full-time. So, yeah. so that's what we define, not just the ladder, but I resisted doing this slash thing or this plus thing. You're this plus this. Uh, even for internal versus external for both. Mm -hmm. It was, we were focused for that. Um, what about equity of set? So, so there's, I'm just going to sort of normalize. There's testers, there's developers, there's scrum masters. Uh, I'm going to give you architects. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have some of these things today. I'm going to add BAs. You probably don't have BAs today. You have BAs. So now you have them. Uh, what would you pay? You know, give me some, I'm not looking for exact salary levels, but I'm, what I'm saying is so like my, a junior my, junior scrum master yeah, yeah. versus, you know, what what would be the pay levels across right. bands? So I, the goal that I had when I talked about the spheres, the me, squad, chapter, tribe, that those, those defined bands across all of the skill sets. So there's the engineer one, engineer two. So that's the me and then the squad level. Then at that, that's where it starts to break off into once you're an engineer two, you understand how things work well enough. You can decide, hey, I want to go into the process. I want to move into a scrum master. I've, I've been through enough. I've learned. I feel like I can really coach well. Right. Or I can go into what we're calling a chapter lead, which starts down the people path. So okay. becoming a manager. And those are peers. And engineer so, three so an engineer is three. a peer. So, an, so I could get to engineer three or I could at that level. So one and two is common. Mm -hmm. Three would be where I start diverging and I could be a scrum master one or something like that. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or I could be a team lead one or right. a junior team lead or whatever. Right. Okay. And then it steps up there across the board. And they're just engineers. So I call everybody an engineer. You're a quality engineer. You're a software engineer. We're all responsible for building something. But this is representing their experience. This is sort yeah. of – it's not ignoring – not everyone's flat, right, in their experience. So and so, the, so each of those has bands. Right. right. Like there's a high two and a low two, right? Somebody that's just stepping into software engineer two is going to be different than somebody that's been operating a two for a couple of years. But that might – that's probably why you only have three scrum masters and maybe you have five bands or something like mm -hmm. that, right? So you have engineer one, two. Then three, four, five. Mm -hmm. Then you're mapping leads to four, five, or three, yeah. four, five. You're mapping scrum masters to three, four, five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I, I sort of mapped them. I didn't really have a – I literally had a junior scrum master. Mm -hmm. You know, you can come in. You could be a scrum master with one year of experience or two years of experience. So a very junior scrum master. And I'd have a space for you. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I extended the tier down. Uh, back to my question. Equal, you know, what do we – so do we pay all the threes using your model? And I'm not putting you on the spot. Mm -hmm. So so, so don't answer right. if it if it makes you uncomfortable. But uh, would we pay all those folks roughly the same? Roughly the same, yeah. Okay. So, so developers would be higher paid traditionally. So I'm going to have a BA, a tester. A, a scrum, so I have a three scrum master, three, three developer, a three BA, three tester – in your model, they're all going to get roughly. I'm not going to. They're engineers. Roughly, yeah, they're, yeah. There's bands, right? But they're all in the same band. And you would look at what they're making. You would look in, you know, the competitive landscape with HR, etc. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not a science. There's, right. there's some flexibility or common sense. Yeah. But they would, you would be paying. You wouldn't have a separate band for a tester three. So a tester three wouldn't make 20k, 30k less than a developer three with roughly the right. same experience. It right. just would not happen. So the, you know, equal pay for equal sort of, you know, equal work. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. That's what I was trying to do as well. Uh, I tried to do that with the testers. Uh, now the hard part with that is that the market doesn't do that. The market doesn't do that. So when I'm working with HR, I got to work really hard to understand that these are engineers that are focused on different things. 
So, so I struggled with Scrum Masters because the mapping there was project manager right. or the traditional – the place that you try to find out in the world is project manager. Mm-hmm. And typically they don't make equivalent right. to development so, so, salaries for – at the junior levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, testers was another struggle for me. I couldn't find uh, – I could not find a tester uh, title that would allow me to pay them equal to developers at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I forget what we mapped them to. I think we mapped them to an, an analysts or junior architects or something or some quality. That right. we, we found the quality term in a range of jobs, but it really it wasn't a tester role. Uh, so we had to stretch there as well. That was that mapping of internal to yep. external uh, ranges. Even then, it wasn't a direct mapping to, to the equivalent developers, but it was close enough that we could sort of comp. We would feel good about the comp. That yeah, there, there's, there's starting to be enough automation-focused quality people. I think that's where we that went. That it, it's starting to take a turn, that there's yeah. more support for that. Or SDETs, the yeah. software developers in test, right. if they're defined. Mm-hmm. And even that's an ambiguous definition. But you can sort of latch onto those out in the industry and right. do that. Yeah. So there, so it's so it's getting better. But back when we started this, there just wasn't a lot to support that. So we had to work really hard to to find that internal job description to align with what they were really doing. Because what we're asking our quality engineers to do is a little bit different than a traditional tester role. Um, so trying to make sure that we're representing them well with that. So where do they before we go to POs? Where do they go? So I'll, I'll just use eye contact as, uh, and we didn't. We, we were exploring this a little bit. So we had lead developers that could be a scrum master. We allowed them to try the role on. Mm-hmm. You've heard me talk about this before. So you could half your time, if you were on a team and you wanted to consider scrum mastery, you could you could take the scrum master role on another team. You couldn't scrum master your own team. Uh, and you could do it half time. So we would split the scrum master role across two teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would take, you know, let's say you're t- a team lead. And you wanted to try it. Right. So we would let you try it. We would reduce your capacity on, the, mm-hmm. on the, your development team. We would increase the capacity on another team. We would, you would be a scrum master in trial. We put a time box on it of six months. Yep. Uh, and at the end of that, we expected you to make a decision. Yep. Do you want to be a, do you want to go back to leadership or do you want to, you know, sort of divorce yourself from the technology and become a scrum master mm-hmm. full time? Uh, we would have a mentor for you during that time if you if you needed one. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes we had some leads that were just really good, right? And we, so we wouldn't force a mentor, but we would have mentoring. And there was default mentoring. We had a scrum master focus group, so we had some mentoring around right, all right, of the right. scrum masters, yeah. etc. So you so leads so you could do that. So we would hire them, uh, and it wasn't just a lead. Anyone could try out a scrum master role. Mm-hmm. So uh, virtually anyone, not a junior. Not someone, right. not someone with less than right. years of experience, which is our one, right? So yeah, to, right. There's just so much you got to work at. You to have to work at. Yeah. So, so no one ever really did that. But you know, we had folks that would go in that way. Then we had the ladder. Uh, we didn't really have the maturity to say, "Let's say Maureen." Now, Maureen is a good example. She's working at Deutsche Bank now. She's mm-hmm. been at Deutsche Bank so from 2009 to 2012. From 2012 to now, she's at Deutsche Bank, so six, four more years, five more years. She's still a scrum master. She's a senior scrum master there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's happy being a scrum master. Uh, she doesn't want right. she, to – you know, she's getting depth and breadth enough right. challenges where, you know, it's a, so she wants to be competitively compensated, mm-hmm. uh, which is part of the banding. But she's okay being a scrum master. We never did figure out what happens to a scrub master who wants to grow beyond it. Right. We didn't have a path beyond it so much. We talked a good game about leadership, like management. Mm-hmm. You could go into a formal team lead or a formal management position. I always felt that scrum masters, a lot, 80% of the skills are really, really applicable to being good leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we never connected the dots to, right. to, I don't think we ever had a scrum master who actually bridged that. Right. Uh, so we weren't there. That was probably our evolution. Um, and so you, now you could go. Some of those leads would go back to development. Occasionally, you know, after a year, they would say, "I'm, I, you know, I'm missing the love of my life, which mm-hmm. is software development. Can I go back there?" And we would say, "No, you're fired." Right. <laughs> no, we would say, "Of course you can, right. as long as you have the skills." Yeah. Right. As long as your skills haven't eroded so badly, uh, and that was never that was really not the case. So so growth. 
uh, what any reactions to what I just said. So um, aside from moving into a management-type role, what we would likely do is the six-month experiment. I think we'd go in a little bit more whole hog than you would with a half and half. I think we would put them in that role for six months. And just live it and breathe it. Right. The part that is hard to try out for six months because you're more directly affecting others is management role because now you're managing people and you're trying this out for six months that's not really fair to them so but the other roles we would likely do a six-month trial and we actually had someone that thought they wanted to go over to the product owner side and we said well let's try it for six months right and and we're going to be growing so we're going to be hiring like crazy so if you want to step back into the development role no big deal we're going to be hiring lots of product owners so no big deal we can handle that we can support that so our growth is really supporting experiments with roles that's that's what we were growing reasonably well at the time as well so the growth really gives you some flexibility with the yeah. try it see if you like it mm-hmm. whereas if you were static it's much more challenging yeah. you, know, you have to be careful about how right. you sort of what you promise uh and what's important is to have a landing you know a reverse landing spot for folks mm-hmm. you want to make sure that they can re- we were very careful of you know if you didn't like scrum mastery it's not even an HR policy. We wanted to make sure you had a place to go, mm-hmm. right? We didn't backfill you, right. right? Or you had a, and the growth gives you a place to go. That's a nice segue for product ownership. So, mm-hmm. you're in many ways you're not, you have like two scrum masters, maybe three right now, mm-hmm. uh, but your product owners, if my sense is right, they're growing faster. Right. Yeah, we we are traditional scrum one to one ratio. So from a product owner point of view, every squad has a product owner. So you overload the scrum masters a little bit, but you don't overload as an organization, not you personally. Mm-hmm. But the, you have one to one from a product owner point of view to a squad. Yeah, correct. Yeah, we're 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 a lot more comfortable with our agile chops, right? Because we grew from scratch, so we hired everybody with an agile mindset. We had a process in place, so we don't have to tackle some of those traditional transformational issues. So it's more at the coaching level, yep. but still knowing how challenging the product owner role is overloading. That just feels like a really bad idea when you're just growing too. And you have, you have a lot of volatile decisions, you know, you're pivoting, I think, mm-hmm. and, and stuff. So, um, why don't you talk about what the dude is doing? I mean, what is that organizational structure? What, what is the structure? It's not you doing it in this mm-hmm. case. It would be Kevin, Correct. I guess, right. doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so this is my peer, uh, the VP of product here. So we do have a one-to-one ratio of product owners to squads. Um, then the next level up would be what we're calling a product expert, that the squads are responsible for building capabilities. So they build common sets of functionality. That they, And it's good because we allow them to become world-class experts in work orders or assets or shoes or whatever we want to go tackle but you take that capability and you need to combine a bunch of capabilities that the squads have built into a product okay so it's more of a product level slicing of i need this piece from work order this piece from assets this piece from shoes this piece from socks and build a product and deliver that to a market so so they're in the industries. And again, I'll use eye contact as an example, but this is more generalized. Uh, there's this notion of product owners and product managers. Mm-hmm. So, pro- this, you know, the, the the skill of product management, which is a traditional thing that predates Agile. Mm-hmm. There were these folks called product managers. Uh, they have a role and responsibility. They would define requirements. They would define business cases. They were mostly outwardly facing. Well, they mm-hmm. were sort of maybe thirty percent team-facing traditionally in waterfall environments, uh, usually front-loaded, right, in, you know, getting the requirements for, fed into the team. Mm-hmm. And then they would decouple and they would do a lot of marketing and sales and sort of ROI analysis, stuff like that. Uh, so they were product managers uh, and then the product product owners. So do you have product managers and product owners here? Product so, managers so think more outwardly so, facing, yeah, yeah. inwardly so, facing. So that's the internal versus external. We do yeah. have product managers that are out there and product owners. So the product owners spend the bulk of their time with the squads. Product managers do handle some of that other stuff of the external market-facing things. Now, the interface between the two is going to be really important to make sure that we're building the right things in our squads and everything that goes along. Well, what you just described then is a product, and I'm asking, but it sounds like a product manager would manage a feature 
that would cross-cut multiple squads, multiple POs, potentially, right, multiple services. So the product manager would have the feature cohesion. The product owners would have the subparts, the, the services, the microservices or whatever cohesion. Uh, is that is that sort of what's happening? Yeah, we, um, Kevin actually does a really good job of calling it the the uh, waffle, right? So the think the of wa- the the waffle, right? Yeah. So think about the horizontal lines, the rows within a waffle. Those are the product owners and the capabilities. So the microservices, the, yep. the, the the functionality. Then then the vertical piece of the waffle are the product managers, product experts that that that, that take seventy five percent of the columns of one column, twenty five percent of this column. 10% of that column to assemble into a product to take that, to market. And that's what the customers use. Yeah. So the customers are using the verticals right. that are composed of the horizontals, right? right. The horizontals are the technical mix, right. the technical sensibility, uh, but you'd never sell that stuff to customers. It would never be sellable. Right. An individual microservice or right. something. Okay. So that's that. So getting into product owners, I see that mapping. It, that's almost becoming the predominant mapping. So 10 years ago, in my experience at least, 10 to 12 years ago when people were going scrum, they would they would basically say if, if you had a an organization like Kevin's organization, mm-hmm. if it had – at that time it would only have product managers, mm-hmm. you know, junior, senior, middle-tier product managers. And some of those product managers would be serving teams more and some of them would be serving externals more. Right. You would convert – if we were going scrum, you would turn all of them into product owners. Right. You would say suck it up. You're all product owners. Shut up. And then what you would do is you would give them te- a team or teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would give them a slice. And then you would say you have internal and external responsibilities for your slice. Uh, and and very typically their heads would sort of explode because yeah. now it, it was almost like a double job. Right, yeah. it's right. You gave them a double job. Right, like if you go back to the quadrants that we talked about yeah. and that there are very few – human beings that could deliver on all four quadrants yeah. at the same time, right? You've got to split those out. Yeah. So that was, but that was the default for years. It was like, because there's no guidance and it was like, Oh, sh- you know, crap. Now we have to create product owners mm-hmm. by definition. You all, you sort of had seniors and juniors, you had a ladder, but it was a product management ladder. It wasn't a product ownership ladder. Mm-hmm. It was the default ladder for the organizational structure. Right. Uh, but everyone was a PO. And then sort of cohesion across, like the notion of a product manager, a true product manager across POs, mm-hmm. it it was just accidental. So sometimes organizations got it right because there was a senior person in play mm-hmm. or, or who you know had experience, and, and most often they didn't. Nowadays, you have product owners and product managers. Uh, usually the product manager has dotted line responsibility for multiple POs. So using your your waffle, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the person doing the feature, you know, if you had long-lived teams, right? If teams had – That's our goal. If you had teams that had areas of ownership, mm-hmm. then the, each of them would have a PO that had that team-based ownership. Yep. But then there would be a cross-cutting product manager that was trying to own, I don't know, a product. Mm-hmm. A mar- and, and they might right, have – Right, a customer-facing product. A yeah. customer-facing product. They would do all of that external stuff. They would do the vision, mission, mm-hmm. internal stuff with those multiple POs. Uh, lightly, they report. Usually, they don't directly report to the product manager because they're not always managers. Right. So there's a, usually a dotted line relationship, and then there's usually like directors or VPs or something where everyone reports to the VP. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the product, there's a loose sort of matrix structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and at eye contact, that's what we did. We evolved from the PO, everyone's a PO, to and and it was because some people wanted to be pro, so it was skills driven. Mm-hmm. Some folks were really strong product managers, and they felt marginalized as a PO. Uh, some POs wanted growth, right? And they wanted sort of product level responsibility. They wanted to do business case in school. They had done ROI analysis right, and stuff, right. and in the, the you know the core PO role really didn't do that mm-hmm. for them. So we had folks bouncing around. Once we created the product manager, uh, product owner hierarchy, we, we didn't focus so much on junior, senior, et cetera. There was that notion, but it was much more so I could bounce around. Mm-hmm. Like a product owner, a senior PO, that's not the title, 
but some of our more seasoned POs would take a, another PO in their product line under their wing. So they'd be mentoring POs, someone who just came into the organization. Right. Which is just what the engineers do. Yeah. Right? yeah. So that, that's, that, that's a typical approach is what happens within the team. So I, so I see that. I mean, you can bring organizational structure to what I'm talking about, but there is this growth. We, we had healthy growth around. We had a lot of we had We had movement in both directions. And before we did it, there was a lot of frustration. Mm-hmm. So we had POs that wanted to move to product, and we tried not to talk about it going up or down. Mm-hmm. And we had product managers who burned out and wanted the simplicity of POing a team. Right. Uh, sometimes they had interest in like UX, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So let's say one team is doing some UX-centric work, and the PO, the product manager, had a background in UX uh, at another company, and they're like, "I really like that." Right. So they could step into a PO role. From a comp point of view, we we compensated them. We didn't. Ha- I don't think we had PO comp versus product manager comp. We had more of a ladder across both of them. Mm-hmm. If I'm, I hope I'm making sense. It was more like product, and depending. So if you were, if you were a, uh, let's call it a product, a, t- a level two product manager and a level two PO, you, your comp was going to be roughly the same. Right. Your focus was different. Right. But yeah. your comp was right. gonna, your your clout, the the amount of trust we had in you, uh, the amount of decision making prowess you had, or you know autonomy you had in making decisions, the expectations we had of making good decisions, mm-hmm. that was that was the same. That was roughly the same. Right. We didn't make a distinction. And does that resonate with the dude? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's pretty close. I, I mean, we're we're evolving rapidly, growing rapidly. So. Filling these roles and 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 everything goes along with that, so it's it's changing quickly. So I get, I mean, that's what I that's what I've experienced. Metacasters, if you have any other, that's a pretty common structure. I know it was a loose framework. Uh, I think from a salary perspective, from a banding perspective, it's easier because it's product management hooks. Yeah, there's more to align with. There's more to the, yeah. That's what I've I've found. There's yeah. there's more to hook on externally, so mm-hmm. it's not an issue. Uh, what is an issue is sort of taking a waterfall hierarchical thing and then breaking it up and aligning it to yeah. agile team. I think the biggest issue I have or biggest challenge that I see, not that I have, is how do we take the structure right and then map it yeah. to the reality of the the you know the squads and stuff. Uh, and skills come into play a lot. So the old structure might have like really heavy product managers, these decision-making beasts. Mm-hmm. So I might have 20 product man. So let's say I have a structure of 20 product managers, uh, but now we have 15 agile teams. So two, three quarters of that, of those folks have to take, uh, they have to what, interact with the team. Right. And only two of them want to do that. Right. They, they want to just do the big bang wave my hands but not really make it reality sort of stuff. Right. Uh, but they have to. They have no choice. So we have to map them. So how do you map them? How do you enable them? How do you get them excited about it? How do you get them to look at it as not a demotion or something like that? Uh, because it's. I, I think a lot of those traditional structures are very uh, heavy. Mm-hmm. They're management heavy. Yeah. They're decision-making heavy. They're not doing it heavy. And Agile's very doing it heavy. Yep. So, so that that transition, they don't make that transition very yeah, easily. It, it's, it's a, it's weird because a lot of people feel like they're giving things up and they're not in control as much. Exactly. And so that so that can be hard when you've been making every decision from the start on this is what the product is and this is how we're going to build it. Now you have to let go of some of that. And so there so there's always been a lot of trouble for people transitioning from waterfall, like you said, with that decision making in the product management to now I'm a product owner and I'm a member of this team working together to figure out what the right answer is as opposed to do it this way. Well, and sometimes, I mean, this is an area where I coach a lot. A lot of times the leaders of those organizations, the, the technology, so the Josh and the Kevin um, using you two, mm-hmm. uh, Ke- I'm just going to use it, but it's not true here. But Kevin, let's say he had that sort of imbalance he might not be decisive enough to actually – so he might succumb to the senior versus the junior mm-hmm. and say, well, crap, I'm going to have – I only have three people that want to be POs. Josh has 15 teams, so I'm going to divide those three POs 
across five teams each. Mm-hmm. So now what he has, and it's it's clearly it's not balanced towards agile, and it's not balanced towards decision making. It's balanced towards not aggro, not pissing people off. Right. And now I have fifteen product managers, five per product, which are bouncing into each other. Mm-hmm. So I have a plethora of product managers more than I need, and I don't have enough POs. And the reason I've done that. It's because I don't want to upset anyone, mm-hmm. right? I've, I've created a bastardized structure. I see that happening an awful lot yeah. where folks, they, they just don't want to they don't want to do a, a proper or a balanced transition. Now, they eventually, usually they eventually get there, but it could be two or three years. And then who pays the penalty for that? Is like the teams pay the penalty for that? Yeah, the organization. The team, the product, yeah. Well, and you get even even because, even having five product managers doesn't mean you're moving fast. It mm-hmm. means they each have an opinion, mm-hmm. and now they that actually may slow your decision making down, right? So so your product level decision making isn't going to be necessarily better because you have five product managers per product. It could be yeah, what I've seen is it's slower. Yeah. So that's the typical challenge there. Did we cover this? I feel like we have. Did we overcover it? I don't think so. I think cool. we perfectly covered this it. This was a pretty juicy – I was worried about this, but this is actually – You know how many times we've said that. I know, but this is this was a juicier <laughs> than I thought topic. This is, this is actually – this is something maybe not as an individual contributor you worry about, but organizationally, yeah. a lot of organizations really struggle – on both sides of you know creating sort of a happy structure for scrum masters and a happy structure for product owners. Maybe we wrap up this way. Uh, do you need them, Josh? So I, I'd like to shut up and let you finish the metacast with a rant. So what what if we ha- what if people suggest that well I can just have a scrum master you know scrum master and a PO they can be the same person, or do I really need to pay for scrum masters and POs, Josh, right. etc. Why well, I don't have the money for that. So so could you? talk about that as a final sure so the product owner is to me like the retrospective it's the one thing you can't live without that role is the hardest role in scrum and if you go cheap on it you slow down everybody else if you do it right you have the opportunity to accelerate the whole team so that's where you really have to invest and invest well otherwise you're not going to get the same returns that you could because your backlog's not going to be as clean, as refined, as prepped and ready to roll. Now, the team certainly has a role to play in that, but somebody that really owns that and drives that provides the team with a tremendous opportunity to really become truly highly effective. And what if I said, you know, I don't have a, I, I'm willing to invest, Josh, I buy what you say, mm-hmm. but I don't have a lot of money, so can I, can I have a product owner for five to ten teams? Uh, so I'm, I'm not cheap. I have a product owner. They're just multitasking a little bit. What do you, what would your response be? So I'm a big believer that there's no such thing as multitasking. You're just reducing your ability to deliver by 20%. For this critical role. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's you're choosing to reduce the effectiveness of that team. So it's not just having one. It's giving them enough time. And you said, dude, puts their money where their mouth is. It's yeah. one-to-one. One-to-one, yeah. Uh, they have the skill. They have the market awareness. They have the support of the organization because it's the toughest yeah. role on the planet. Yeah, it's way too hard to do it on more than one. So I don't know how you could effectively do it across two squads. I just don't know. Seeing how when you do it right it, and you do it for real, then you're fully invested and it's more than a full-time job. And we've even talked about the product owner quadrants way back in the day yeah you can go and listen to those and we said multiple times that there's no way for one human to do all of this that's true and medication did you catch that josh just gave us a reference back into the way back machine into a previous episode so. thank you mr peabody yeah so there's a little little research there for you you can do a search back uh, scrum master role that's not that's not doing a disservice po's I rock have, but i have evolved and learned. Um, so you're a good case study yeah. for this because you were a cheapie. I'm exaggerating. No, but, you're but right. you were a cheapie for scrum masters historically. And yeah, like, how I, do I, I, really... I tried to do everything myself. And I tried to be the um, director, the agile coach, the scrum masters. I kind of had like part-time scrum masters helping in squads that I knew were good, that were helping out there. Um, then I came here, said it multiple times, met Richard. said, oh, boy, I got a scrum master. What's he going to do? And he knocked it out of the park, and he changed the way I think about that role because it's the first time I'd ever seen it done right. So it's like the product owner's like, yeah, you can have a product owner on five teams, and you might think that's good enough, but try it once. 
with a product owner with one team and your eyes will be open. So the same thing happened for me here with Scrum Master. like, oh, that's what a great Scrum Master there does. You go. That's how he affects one squad yeah. and two squads. And holy crap, that's amazing. We need more of those. So that's why we've done that. Because so, when you do it right, again, you can – it's like Agile, right? You can adopt Agile with air quotes and do it poorly, and then Agile's the worst thing on the face of the earth. If you do the same thing with Scrum Masters or any of these roles, it's going to look like it doesn't work. But when you do it for real and you do it the right way – You'll understand why. You'll understand completely. Yeah. yeah. So the good, good scrum masters, maybe a little bit of overloading, team-based overloading, mm-hmm. but again... You know. And it depends on your teams. If they're shoe teams, you likely need to lean more towards the one-to-one ratio. Right. If you have ha or re teams, pretty mature, you probably need less because they're already thinking in the ways that an agile coach or scrum master would. But you've got to figure out the maturity of your teams and hire appropriately. So managers, can managers be scrum masters? You only get yes or no. You no. don't get maybe. No. I vote no. Yep. No. Directors, no matter how, no. Any management role. Even I wrote a blog post a while back. It may be worth connecting to this Metacast. Uh, arguably, I have lots of experience. I, I would not give myself that. It's, a too, it's too conflicted. It's a conflicted yep. role. I wouldn't put myself in there, at least for a longer, longer than a week. Yeah, we, we – um we were short a product owner for one of our squads and one of our directors stepped in to be a product owner and it was really, really hard on him and really hard on the squad. And he talked about how difficult it was because of the conflicting thoughts he had Correct. and he saw how it was affecting the squad. And he was just like, we have to get a product owner as soon as possible because this just is not working as effectively as it could. I have some good blog posts that I'll connect to this. Uh, where we can connect to this. Yeah. Cool. I think we've covered it. I think so too. How do folks get a hold of us, Josh? The same way they found us. Bob. That's a short answer. It is. So let's end this sucker. So <laughs> we want feedback. Hundredth hundredth episode coming yeah, up. Yeah, we need to deliver on that. Get us feedback, and we'll reward you accordingly. We will, uh, or we'll try to reward you accordingly. Uh, but other than that, uh, you know, if you find us the way you have, get us any feedback on anything. We love it. You know that yep. if you've listened to us. Other than that, we want to thank you for listening. And from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.